I'm a fan of the novelist Ann Patchett, who spoke here a few years ago, but I was hesitant to read her latest book, The Dutch House. I wasn't intrigued by the title, like, who wants to read a story about a house? But friends vouched for it, and so I dove in, and partway in, I went, oh, I get it. The house itself is like a character in the story. The Dutch house is this mansion on an estate built in 1922 in suburban Philadelphia, and inside the mansion live a little girl and her little brother, along with their parents and the housekeeper and the cook, and it is idyllic at the beginning, but then through a series of unfortunate events, the little girl and the little boy are thrown out of the house by their stepmother who claims the house as her own. And now as the boy and the girl mature into being teenagers and young adults, they develop this habit of driving in their car back to the house and parking their Oldsmobile in the shadow of what used to be home and sharing with, with, with one another their secrets, their fears, their hopes, their dreams. And over time, it seems that that house is no longer their home. In fact, you begin to wonder if the house was given back to them, if they would even step foot in it. Because here, in the car, in the shelter of one another, they find their true home. You and I have been told, go home, stay home. But some of us are wondering, well, where exactly is home? Like if you're a college student, is your bedroom in mom and dad's house where your trophies from middle school still sit on the shelf? Is that home? Or is home your apartment, your teeny tiny apartment in this college town where you have in your kitchen some hand-me-down pots and pans to make ramen with a lot. Or if you are working and you used to spend 40 to 60 hours a week at the office and your workplace became your home away from home and now you've been told, go home. Well, what does that feel like? Or if you're one of those people who was always traveling for business and your home became a series of hotel rooms and airplanes and airports and now the only place you're zooming around is in your basement in your sweatpants. Well, today's scripture is about a guy who left home and came back home. He isn't quite sure where he belongs, where he feels at home. And sometimes when we read this scripture, often called the prodigal son, we picture how he ran away from home and squandered all of his inheritance with loose living. I've preached that angle on this particular story myself. You know, greedy son takes dad's fortune, purchases a large yacht and cases and cases of fine wine until he eats up all of dad's money. But today, I'm looking at this story called The Prodigal Son from a different angle. You know, in the story, it never says that the boy and his dad parted on bad terms. The dad gave his son exactly what the son asked for, and then he waved goodbye. And I can picture the son and the father standing on the front porch embracing goodbye, and the son isn't really mad at dad. He just has decided 
He wants to go his own way. He doesn't want the life that dad had. And so he wanders off in a different direction. His heart wanders to a new home. And then there is a word in today's scripture that before this week I had never paid attention to, never even noticed it was there. Usually, I picture the prodigal son spending his last dollar at the poker table and then saying to himself, oh darn, I'm going to have to go back to dad and grovel. But the story paints a picture that is even worse than that. Because what it actually says in the text is that after he ran out of money, after that, then there was a famine. A famine? I had never noticed that there was a famine in this story, a crisis of epic proportions. No one saw that coming. A famine where no one had enough. Everyone became worried. Would they survive? Would unemployment rise even higher? How long could this possibly last? Would the rain ever come to water the crops? And it was no one's fault kind of like a pandemic. Everyone is suddenly worried about scarcity and the future and survival, and there is absolutely no one to blame. And there's a great line right in the middle of this story. It says that the prodigal son came to himself. When I read that, I picked up the phone and I called my colleague Mike, who reads the New Testament in Greek, and I said, hey, what does it say in Greek for that line, he came to himself? And Mike said, it reads in Greek, he came to himself. And that is the only place that that particular line appears in all of Scripture. What would you say are the ways that you and I have come to ourselves during this time of pandemic? What are the ways that we have come to ourselves and realized that we too, like the prodigal, have wandered off? I was visiting with a bride and groom who had to postpone their wedding. It was a heartbreaking conversation. But in the middle of it, they began to laugh out loud. And they said, when we do reschedule the wedding, we will not spend one nanosecond thinking about whether or not the napkin should go on top of the silverware or underneath the silverware. Instead, we will focus on what really matters to us, celebrating our love, surrounded by the people who love us so dearly. Another friend of mine has cancer. He's had cancer for a year, maybe a year and a half now, and he's doing quite well, but the treatments can make him tired. And just last week, his neighbor, who lives behind him, came over and shouted across the fence, Hey, I heard you were sick. I want to do something for you. Can I do some yard work? And the neighbor, he came over and he began to edge his yard and prune his trees and take down some trees that needed to come down. And now the guy's backyard looks fabulous. But we as a society had wandered off away from being good neighbors and now we are waking up and reconnecting to what matters most. Sales of luxury cars and designer clothes have plummeted, but 
if you want to buy some yeast or some flour to bake bread, or if you want to buy some vegetable seeds to plant your own garden, or if you want to buy a bicycle so you can get fit and be out in the neighborhood, well, good luck. You know, about the time that the earth seemed to shift and the globe was suddenly shuttering its doors, I had this impulse that I should start running. Well, I've never been a runner. I've never had an interest in running. And I'm still struggling to articulate to myself even why it is that after 56 years, I took up running. But I can tell you that it felt more like a spiritual decision than a physical fitness one. It felt more like, like coming to myself and realizing that I too wander off from God, from myself, and from my own inner strength, and that now is the time to set my compass back towards home. In a recent book, Professor James Smith writes that all, not all prodigals need a passport. I love that. Not all prodigals need a passport. The journey home is not always a physical journey home. Sometimes it's an emotional journey or a spiritual journey. Professor Smith identifies that you can be sleeping in the same bed and still be a million miles away from your partner. And you can even be at church every week and still have a voracious appetite for idols. We, like the prodigal son, have sought to fill our lives with something to satisfy us, but then we wake up and we come to ourselves. The prodigal son, he decided to go home and work for his dad as one of the hired hands. But while he was still far off, his dad stood on the front porch, craning his neck, searching the horizon, looking to see if his son might come home. And when he recognized his son's walk, his son's gait, he hiked up his robes and he took off sprinting across the pasture so that he could welcome his son. And he refused to let his son offer any apologies. Instead, he pulled out all the stops for the biggest party anyone had ever seen. I'm talking a lavish, decadent party. There was no DJ. They had a live band at this party. They killed the fatted calf so that all the neighbors could be invited to come and feast with them. And in the midst of this party, the father goes and gets a robe and a ring and places it on his son. These are signs of being a king, of being royal. It was more like an inauguration than a family reunion. A robe is the sign that Jonathan places on his friend David in the Old Testament to say, you are the one who will be king. And a robe is placed on Joseph by his father to show the father's favor. And a ring is a sign of being the royal king. And so here is a grand celebration. But we would have understood, right, if the dad had simply snuck his son into the back kitchen door, served him some leftover pizza, and said, welcome home. But no, 
dad is overcome with compassion for his son because his son who is dead is now alive. The one who is lost is now found and it is a grand celebration. I've been watching a Netflix series called Unorthodox. It's only four episodes and it tells the story, the true story of a young woman named Etsy who is growing up in Brooklyn in a uber strict Orthodox Jewish community where the women are not allowed to read scripture and the men are not allowed to carry smartphones. This young woman, Etsy, has been raised both by her aunt and her grandmother, and everyone has told her all her life that her birth mother abandoned her. She is, at the age of 17, forced into a marriage that she finds incredibly oppressive physically, spiritually, emotionally, and she remembers that she has another home, that her mother was German, and that she has papers as a German citizen. And so she decides to flee this uber-strict community. She listens to her own inner voice, and she gets on a plane in New York and flies to Berlin, but when she arrives, she's terribly afraid of finding her birth mother. And so she lives for a while as a homeless person, and finally, she musters the courage to ring the doorbell of her mother's apartment. And when she says, it's me, Esty, her mother runs to greet her. She opens the door wide. She brings her in and sits her down in the living room. And Esty says, I'm 18 years old and I have nothing. I have no money, I have no education, and I'm pregnant. And her mother said, no, it's not true that you have nothing. You have a mother's love for her child. I will help you. I love you. And her daughter glares at her. What can her mother possibly know about love? You left me. You left me when I was three, she says. No, 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 says her mother. Listen to me. I never left you. You were taken from me. For a while, when you were young, after your father left, who was an alcoholic, the two of us lived together in an apartment, and it was beautiful. And then they terrorized me, and when they sent in their lawyers, I lost you in court. But not a day has gone by when I didn't think about you. Finally, Esty is home. For what else is home? other than being in the presence of the one who created us and who loves us always.